Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Liverpool One Church, man. It is so great that you have made the decision to come and hang with us today. I'm so glad that you're here and just part of the family at Liverpool One Church, man. We know that time is super precious and you guys have decided to get real serious about doing business with God today because you've turned up at church and the options were massive for you, but you've chosen to be here. So I just wanna say a huge welcome to every single one of you. And especially for those of you that are maybe joining and tuning in online too, we're super glad that you are here. I think that you've made a great decision to come to church today. Liverpool One, why don't you go ahead and take your seats real quick. Today's gonna be a boss day in church. And actually because... um, We're gonna be doing church today with some of our very best friends in the whole entire world. And I am about to introduce to you somebody who is an absolutely phenomenal communicator, outstanding leader, leads one of the largest churches in the USA. I mean, like when I hear what they did at Easter, I just feel like quitting and I'm all depressed. They had like over 25,000 people just turn up at church on Sunday. And it's like, I know that maybe in the UK, we can't always compute those figures, but I'm saying that not really to say anything other than I really genuinely believe that God is doing something incredible through the lives of Red Rocks Church, which is based in Denver, Colorado. And Red Rocks Church is led by Sean and Jill Johnson, and they are dear, dear friends of ours. I just wanna very quickly give you a very brief snapshot, and then we're gonna just crack on with the rest of the service. But I wanna just give you a little bit of an overview because I want you guys to know that when we bring people in to speak into the life of the church, I think that you would know this by now, we're not really, like, we're not really that bothered about doing it. Like we don't do it loads. We, we really don't do it all that often. And yet, man, we, we could do it way more than we do. But when we do have somebody come in, actually more than what they can do on a platform, we wanna do it with people that actually, they, they feel to us like they're friends of our house. And like, they're more interested in like not just getting a gig or an opportunity. And sometimes in our world, it can be a little bit like that. But I want you to know something about Pastor Sean Johnson. He and I, we met probably just over 10 years ago, 2012. And in fact, I was having a season and we'd only been doing church just over a year, I think. And honestly, I was like, man, I wanna quit because we could not get the church over like 30 people. And I was like, dude, I'm out. Like I'm rubbish at this and I'm useless at this. And we literally, we sat and had a coffee and we kind of made this deal together that If he didn't quit, then I wouldn't quit. And now 11 years, we're both kind of still in the game, just trying to expand the kingdom of God together. But here's the thing, Sean has actually preached in, I think almost every single venue that we've previously had at church, albeit he's never actually spoken at our home now, our lovely rustic warehouse on the outskirts of town. This is his first time speaking here, but I'm saying that because on the very first couple of times he would fly over and he would just come and preach for us. He would be doing it for like 30 or 40 people. 
And then he'd be doing it for 60 or 70. And then he'd be doing it for like maybe 150 people. And what I'm saying is, is that speaks volumes into the character of the man. Like he was willing to do it before all you guys were here, you know, before anyone was here, he was willing to come over. And I think that it's important that you know how much we love these guys as a family. In fact, I'll tell you this, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm gonna go there. Some of you will know a little bit of our story as a family. And a few years back, Emma had, had been diagnosed with a life-threatening condition. She had received a blood cancer diagnosis. And one day, my phone is going and it's Sean and I did what every guy did. We'd like just found out and our world was upside down. And so I buttoned him and, and then he rang me back and I buttoned him again and he rang me back and he said like, what is going on? And I told him this whole thing about like, we don't even know if we're gonna be here. We don't even know what this is gonna look like for us. And how do you be a dad? How do you be a husband? How do you, how do you lead a church? And he said, look, listen, we're gonna get on a plane. We'll be with you on Thursday. And I've never forgotten that because it's easy to be brilliant on a platform under the lights. And yet I really think that the sincerity of who God is in the process of making is oftentimes revealed in the phone calls when somebody doesn't wanna speak and they button you. And then they turn around and say, man, I'm gonna fly in. I'm gonna be with you on Thursday. And literally like the biggest blessing. So Sean and Jill, we love you. We're so grateful to both of you. We're glad that we get to call you friends, but our Liverpool One Church family loves you. And Jill Johnson is actually gonna be one of the main keynote speakers at Braveheart Conference next year. How cool is that, right? So I wonder, could we do this? Liverpool One Church family, could we very briefly, could we be upstanding as we welcome both Jill and Sean Johnson and say a great big Liverpool One Church welcome Jill, come and say hi. Come on up, my friends. Come on up. You know, um, I know that Sean is going to get plenty of time in just a moment, right? <laughs> but um, I would love it if you would just say hi. You don't really need an introduction from me because we think you're awesome and this church loves you already, but... Um, Say hello. Well, hello, Liverpool One. I feel <laughs> you. Well, it's it's fun to see your beautiful faces, and this yeah. feels like a surreal moment for me because, my goodness, I think it was probably se several years ago, six years ago maybe. But I I walked through the back. I was here for I think what was one of your first Braveheart conferences that was going to be happening here, and which, my goodness. Your team, your leaders, they do, I mean, we've, I've been to lots of conferences and I'm not lying when I say it, yours is one of the best. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what? These ladies, your pastors, your people love you so much that they put everything, every bit of their heart and soul into sharing the beautiful, amazing depths of the love of Jesus with you. And it's just so fun to come every single time. You're, you are 
just so warm and loving towards us, and I can't thank you enough for that. I'm so excited to be here in May. I know it's a while. I wanted to be here this last May, but couldn't make it happen. But I cannot wait to be with your, your church family, your girls. We love you. I love you. I'm excited. And just thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being such good friends to us, your whole team. Goodness. It's fun to see you. Love you. Well, like, I kind of figure this, you know what, it's the kind of deal that I know that you're going to fly out, but I'm going to have a word in his ear this, his ear this week, and I'm going to get you both guys to come out, because that would be really, really cool. Well, hey, listen, Sean, we're super excited to have you preach. Thanks very much for making the trip and making the journey. We love you. Liverpool won one more time. Let's give it up, Pastor Sean Johnson. Thank you. You guys feel good? Go ahead and have a seat. Um, I didn't know Luke was going to make me cry before I got up here. Um, I had brought a couple pictures. We were were texting about the trip, and we were just reminiscing. Um, Jill and I were here uh, right before this building opened. And and Luke's correct. Um, I have spoke at almost, I think, every venue and I'm kind of the Liverpool One Church Grim Reaper, because every time I speak at a building, it closes down. <laughs> I spoke at the Little Theater, shut down. Yeah. Spoke at the hotel, shut down. Spoke at the university, shut down. Like, so God just has bigger and better, maybe, in store for right now. Who knows? But uh, we, we, had, we were sending back and forth some pictures. And so here's, here's a picture of some of us. That's, um, yeah, and so um, Jill and Emma just get better, like fine wine, Luke is going to look the same till he's 80, and I've just gotten fatter and grayer, so fantastic. Uh, go ahead and put that picture up of the, of the boys. I mean, they're a little taller now. I think everyone in that picture is now taller than me. Um, Joe Ash wasn't in that picture, and so I wanted, but we also, we were treated to just what happens at your pastor's house when nobody is looking, when you're not around. And I thought, you need to know what happens and how they host people when you're not looking. So we went to their house, and Joe Ash and the rest of the family welcomed us in their own way to England. And in fact, you'll see my wife take a shot to the eye in this clip. And so just go ahead and enjoy. This is what happens at your pastor's house. Cut it. <laughs> so welcome to Liverpool One Church. Hey, for real, we love your pastors so much. And I, I'm not going to cry again. I, I love you guys so much. We have been saying for over 10 years now, friends like family. 
and we've never meant it more, and we love you. Um, we love you guys. Um, so, so I'm gonna, because I, I do feel like family, I felt like, you know, today we're gonna get into something that's real, and, and, and I'm gonna be super real, and we're gonna talk about a hard-hitting topic that's important, and I feel like as family, we can do stuff like that. And so today we're gonna talk about um, anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, where I live, it's running rampant. And, and I thought, I'm assuming it's similar here. So I started doing a little bit of research. And um, some of the stuff I read was one report said pretty much you can count on about half of everybody in the UK having dealt with anxiety or depression. Um, one study I read said that it was a, some research done with thousands and thousands of people in the UK. And, and it said 60% of people said they had dealt with anxiety, and 56%, I think, said they had dealt with depression. And so what that means for us is every single one of us, for the most part, probably every single one of us in this room right now and every one of you watching online, either you have dealt with this stuff personally, and maybe nobody knows, or somebody you love is currently dealing with it. Like, it's that rampant, it's everywhere. And what I have come to believe is that is not God's plan for our life. We do not have to sit back and just deal with depression and be attacked by anxiety, but through the powerful name of Jesus, we can take a stand and we can begin to battle for the very freedom that Jesus died to provide us with. That's what I believe, and that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. In fact, I believe this is God's plan for us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Notice this does not say you're gonna be able to just get strong enough to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you figure out how to get out of depression. You figure out how to get yourself out of anxiety. You know, he says, no, the God of hope will do that for you. The God of hope wants to go to work and he wants you to have joy and he wants you to have peace. That's the opposite of depression and anxiety. So that you may, he does, I don't want you to have a little hope. I want you to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I wanna talk about today. And, and I, I wanna start by just sharing a little bit of my own story. Um, Revelations 12 says that there's two things that defeat the power of Satan in our lives, and it's the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross when he died and the word of our testimony. There's power in our testimony, you know that, right? And, and so I had been doing something that is very, very easy to do, and I think we're almost tempted to do it in church. I had been dealing with anxiety for 10 years and trying to hide it from everyone at church. Because, and, and you'll, 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 you'll feel this a little bit, this is a place where you should be able to come and go, this is exactly how I'm broken, right? But when you don't know a church, or maybe you're visiting here, the idea you get in your mind is church is like a courtroom where everybody's gonna judge me, so I gotta pretend to be better than I actually am. Liverpool One, you gotta know this is not a courtroom, this is a hospital, and the first thing we're supposed to do is go, here's how I'm broken, help me meet with the great physician because I need help, right? But because we talk about a Jesus who says, I'll give you peace and hope, and joy, and then we go, but I'm dealing with depression, I'm dealing with anxiety, I don't have peace, I don't have hope, I don't have joy. So here's what we start to think, maybe I'm not a real Christian. Maybe I'm a second-class Christian. Maybe I don't have real faith. I can't admit it here, because that, then it'll look like I really don't love God, and I do love God, but I'm hurting on the inside, and some of you know exactly what that's like. I sat with a man in my office this last week who said, I love God. And I've been thinking about taking my own life, and nobody knows, because it's real. It's that real, isn't it? 
And, and we all, we know that it is. And so I had been hiding mine for 10 years. And just, let me just tell you this. If this is something you're dealing with, Satan would love for you to keep hiding it. He wants you to suffer silently because he knows there's strength in numbers. He knows there's miraculous healing and prayer in numbers, he, right? So he doesn't want you to share it. He wants you to keep hiding it. And he'll tell you things like, you're doing your family a favor. You're protecting the ones you love by not letting, letting them know how, how hurt you are on the inside, how much depression and anxiety you feel on the inside. You're actually doing them a favor. That's not true. What you're doing is, is you're, you're isolating yourself from men and women of God who could go to battle with you, but they can't go to battle with you because they don't know you're in a battle, right? So that's what I was doing. And in 2019, my anxiety got so bad, I couldn't hide it anymore. And I remember I called Jill. Um, I was driving down a highway in Denver uh, called C-470. And it's right by these mountains. And I started having a panic attack. I, I, started, I was having panic attacks a lot. And this one I could tell was just different. And if you've ever dealt with this, you'll know what this feels like. Um, I started feeling like I was suffocating and my chest would get real tight and my skin would start to tingle and my mind would be racing and, and it felt like death. It felt like, like you're not going to survive this. And when I, get, when I would have panic attacks, I would get real claustrophobic and I would just have to get out of wherever I was. If, if I'm in a restaurant, I gotta get out. If I'm in a house, I gotta get out. If I'm in a car, I gotta get out. And I'm in my truck and, I'm, and I'm, I'm driving down the highway having this crazy panic attack, and I don't know where to go because I, I can't pull over to like a big parking lot. There's people there, and, and, and I can't go to my office because the staff will see me, and I can't go home because our houses were like ding, 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 and everyone around our house had Red Rocks Church stickers on their cars. So I can't go like stand in my own front yard and cry and yell and be crazy because I didn't know where to go. And, and so I pull over to the side of the road, and I called my wife, and she, the second she heard my voice, she knew. She said, are you okay? I said, no, and I hung up. In retrospect, that's my bad. Horrible way to handle that situation. I got out of my car, and I just start walking up the side of this hill, and uh, on paper, my life looked really good. Like, my wife's amazing, and my boys are amazing, and our church is doing great, and like, on paper, everyone would look at our life and go, man, you guys are awesome. Isn't it true? On the outside, we can look amazing and be really hurting on the inside, and we can even get really good at that. That's what I had done, and I remember walking up that hill just crying out to God, and I was like, God, I need a miracle. I can't live this way, and I was yelling and screaming at God, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I can't live this way, and I just sat down and just wept, and I don't know how long I was there. Jill knew where I was coming from, so her and some friends in, I don't know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I don't know how long it was, they show up on the side of the road, and I remember I looked at my wife and my friends, and the first thing I said is, I quit. And I said, I'm sorry. Because when you deal with this stuff, you feel really embarrassed. You get real depressed, and you know it, and you're embarrassed. And you, you have panic attacks, or you deal with anxiety in front of your loved ones, and, and you, you not only feel broken, but then you feel broken and embarrassed. And I remember saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I wish I was a better person. I wish I was a better Husband, I wish I was a better pastor, like, but I'm not, and I don't know what to do. And uh, my friends and family were like, something has to be, like, something drastic has to happen. You can't go on this way. And we got back to my house, and we were sitting at this table, and, and one of my friends looked at me, and I know this is, won't 
correlate with you guys because your country does the right thing and there's, there's, there aren't guns everywhere. In our country, there are. And it's why there's so many problems with so many issues with school shootings and all this crazy stuff, another topic. But we had some from, from hunting long ago, a long time ago in our basement. And that's pretty normal in our country that people would have that. And um, my friend looked at me and he said, you're not thinking about doing anything stupid tonight, are you? And I remember, I was like, no. And then I went, and I gave him the combo to the safe, and I said, go take all the guns out of my house because I can't trust myself tonight. And I'd gotten to this place where I, I was hurting so bad, I just wanted to die. And nobody knew it. And maybe that's you, or maybe that's somebody you love, or maybe it hasn't gotten to that place yet, and my hope is it doesn't have to before you'd be willing to share with somebody else that you're hurting and start doing some battling of your own. One of the first things we did is we went to uh, Alabama where one, I, there's two people in America that I call pastors and one of them lives in Alabama. So we went to see him and I'm sitting in his office and he's like a sweater vest guy. He like always buttons up with a sweater vest. It's like a banker. And, and I'm telling him all my problems and I'm like, here's all, I'm, I'm having panic attacks every day and I'm, I'm crying and this is what happened to me as a kid and this was the abuse and this is the thing. And I'm telling him my whole life story and I don't wanna keep going on and I don't think I can keep being a pastor. And, and I told him, I, I think I want to end my life some days. And I thought what he was going to do is like walk around the table and like give me like a, you know, pastor hug. You know, that's like, maybe even a back rub. You know, like, oh, buddy, I'm with you. Not nothing like that. He looks me right in the eyes and he goes, yeah, that's tough. And he goes, it'll probably get worse. And I'm thinking, I need a different pastor. <laughs> I'll never forget. He said, he said, Sean. You need to stop blaming yourself and start fighting back. It's time to start fighting the enemy. And I didn't even know I could. I didn't even know that was an option. I had dealt with anxiety and depression for so long, I just thought this is just who I am and it's how I have to figure out how to do life. I didn't realize you could fight back. And just in that one I spent two weeks with him there. In those two weeks, me and my wife learned three really important things about fighting anxiety and depression, and I wanna share those with you today. And the first one is this. Church, it is time to fight. Yes. It's time. There's this biblical principle all throughout Scripture where God says, I have something for you. Now I want you to fight to go take hold of it. I'll give you one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he says to Joshua, he says, I'm going to give you, this is before they cross the Jordan River and they're gonna about to go into the promised land and take over this land that God has for them. He says, I'm gonna give you every single place where you set your foot. I'm gonna give you the promised land. I got something for you. And then a few verses later, he says a verse that, that, that somebody in this city has tattooed on their arm, which is, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I, you read that and you go, well, wait, wait a second. If I'm Joshua, I'm like, I don't want the tattoo. I got questions. You just told me you were going to give me every place I set my foot. Why would I ever be afraid or discouraged? Why would I need your strength? You're going to give it to me. Because what he didn't know is what we now know, that yes, God said, I have this for you, but they were going to have to go fight 31 battles to take hold of it. God said, I got a new level of life for you. I got promises for you. I got plans for you. I got a future for you. Now, son, daughter, I did not put a spirit of fear inside of you, but power, love, sound mind. Go fight and take hold of the very thing I have for you. Go get it. We see it in the New Testament. 
Paul's at the end of his life, and he's talking to his protege, his buddy, Timothy. And he says, he says Timothy, I have, I've gotten to live out the plans God has for me. Now you go do it. And what did he say? He, goes, he said, you go fight the good fight. What's he telling him? Timothy, God has plans for you. God has a future for you. God has a new level of freedom for you. But you're going to have to fight to go take hold of it. That's what he would say today, I believe, to us. Liverpool One Church, I got a new level of freedom for you. I do want you to have peace. I do want you to have joy. I do want you to be free. I do want you to walk in your purpose. Now fight. Let something up, let that fighter spirit that God put on the inside of you, let that thing come back to life and go fight and take hold of the very freedom Jesus died to give us. That's what I believe the message is today. It's time to fight. You ever felt like this, though? Maybe, maybe, maybe you just got a little riled up on the inside when I said that. That's how I felt. And the very next thought was, oh, yeah, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> I want to fight. However, I'm exhausted. And if I knew how to do this, I already would have. If I had the strength to do this, I already would have. You ever been, you ever, you or someone you love, they're dealing with depression or anxiety and you get to a point where loved ones call and you don't even have the energy to answer a phone call? You don't have the energy to return a text? You can't even muster up the fake emotions to hit the smiley face emoji? Like nothing, you know what I'm saying? Like that's real. I'm exhausted from this battle. Here's what you gotta know right up top. This fight is not about our strength. It's about our God's strength. This battle is not about our strength, Liverpool won. It's about our God's strength. What? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, I never thought I could be set free from anxiety. I never thought I could be set free from depression. My loved ones struggle so much, I never thought they could be set free. God says, yeah, but I want to do things that you couldn't even imagine. According to my power, your power, he says, I got you. This is not about your strength. This is about my strength, according to his power that is at work within us. Do you guys do buses? Do you take buses to school? Do kids go to school on buses here sometimes? Any of you go to school on a bus? Yeah, we need special counseling, those of us who went to school on buses. There's a whole world that happens on a bus that nobody else knows about. I lived out in the country, and we, I was the first one on the bus and the last one off. Every day, I'm on, I'm a bus kid, and, and there's a whole world of things that happen on a bus that nobody knows about. Well, this particular bus had assigned seats, and, and I was about, I don't know, this high, little kid, and my assigned seat was next to a high school kid named Jeff, okay? Just putting this in my notes this week, I want to go fight Jeff. <laughs> Jeff was a bully. And I don't know why, because I was so much younger than him, and why bullying a little kid for a high schooler would be fun, I don't know. He would punch me in the arm. He'd punch me on the thigh. Um, he took a pencil eraser one day and rubbed it back and forth on my arm, and he said, don't you quit, don't you quit. And I ended up having a scar on my forearm for like 10 years. Like, I'll fight Jeff today, trust me. <clears throat> one day I had a stack of school papers. And Jeff decides it would be fun to write on him. So he takes a big, big marker and he starts writing cuss words across my, my papers. Like, and I'm talking the big ones. And, and he's writing them all across. And to him, that's funny. So I get home and I go in and, and, and I got the papers. And my dad's like, what do you got? And I'm like, nothing. 
He's like, what is that? I'm like, nothing. He goes, let me see. And he looks at the papers and he goes, why are there cuss words on here? Who did this? I went, ah, it's fine. I, don't worry about it. It's fine. Who did this? Jeff. He goes, Jeff down the street, Jeff? I went, mm-hmm. He looked at me, he goes, get in the car. I'm like, no, 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 dad, please don't. You're gonna make it worse. You know the deal. You don't want your parents involved. Please, mom, please, dad, stop. You're gonna make it worse. I'm like, no, dad, please don't do this. He goes, get in the car. We drove down to Jeff's house. He goes up to the door. Bam, 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 bam. No, like, knock, knock, no doorbell, nothing. I'm Jeff's dad comes to the door, and unfortunately for Jeff's dad, he was a little guy. My dad was not. No, how are you, sir? Nice to meet you. Hey, looks like the boys have a little issue. Maybe we can talk this over. None of that. He holds, this is like a movie scene. He holds up the papers with the big F word across the front. He goes, you see this? Jeff's dad doesn't have a clue what's going on. He's like, uh-huh. My dad takes a stack of papers and goes, Whoa, throws them at him. Hit some papers, fall to the floor. I'm thinking, Larry went my homework, so. He looks at Jeff's dad and he goes, your boy ever touches my boy again, I'm gonna be back here. I'm not gonna do anything to your kid, but I'm gonna handle you. We clear? Jeff's dad goes, yeah, we clear, we clear. My dad goes. He got in the car. He doesn't say a word to me. He just, and we drive, he's never mentioned it since. We've never talked about it since. <laughs> Guys, you should have seen the swagger I had the next day on the bus. I got on the bus like, mm, I get up, what's up, Jeff? Jeff sat next to the window and looked, looked outside. Didn't talk to me till he graduated. <laughs> listen, listen, here it is. My dad knew when we get to the battlefield has nothing to do with your strength. All about my strength. I just want to know, will you get in the car and go with me to the battlefield so I can take care of the problem with my strength? That's what God's saying to us. Would you let something stand up on the inside of you that just says, I'm ready to fight, Dad? I can't, I don't have the strength, but I'll get in the car and I'll go to the battlefield with you so you can start to flex and set me free in ways I could never set myself free. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, right? For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Notice he says, I'm not going to the battlefield without you. I'll go with you, and I'll fight for you if you'll go with me. That's it. It's time to fight, not by my strength, by my willingness to say, God, I'm yours. Let's go to the battlefield, because I'm going to watch you go to work. That's where it starts. It's time to fight. And, and number two is, here's the second thing I learned. There's a spiritual battle to be fought. Now, don't get me wrong, I needed counseling. I needed help with some medications that I shouldn't have been taking. Like, I had all kinds of issues. But there was a spiritual aspect to this that I did not realize. 
What I didn't know is I wasn't just, listen, you're not just fighting anxiety. You're not just fighting depression. You are fighting the enemy. It's a spiritual battle. Jesus said it like this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come to give you a life and a life to the fullest. I have a plan for you. My son died so that you could experience freedom, but Satan wants to kill and steal and destroy every bit of it. There is a spiritual battle going on for our lives, and sometimes we get so practical that we forget. Yes, God has given us doctors. God has given us counselors. But God has also given us spiritual weapons and the ability to step into his presence and watch him go to work. And that's the part, and I'm embarrassed to say it, as a pastor that I was ignoring. There's a spiritual battle. The reason I know this is, listen, and this might sound weird to you, did you know that you don't want all of your anxiety to go away? There's a very healthy God-given fear My counselors would call it facilitating anxiety. There's facilitating anxiety, then there's debilitating anxiety. God gave us facilitating anxiety. It's that that when your body gets on high alert, like you're about to play in a big game, you're about to have a tough conversation, you're about to apply for a job, you're about to make a sale, you're about to, right? You want to be like on high alert and every, all systems are go and your body's ready and alert. Like we live in, where we live in Colorado, there's rattlesnakes. I hate snakes. I hate the tiny, I, if there's a, this, I'll jump. I hate snakes. But we have big rattlesnakes and they're very dangerous. And so if we go walking somewhere as a family, like, There's a good, God-given, healthy, facilitating anxiety that as dad, I'm always like this, watching the trail, looking out, making sure there's nothing dangerous that my family's about to walk into. There's a good facilitating anxiety as leaders of organizations where you're always on high alert looking for the next opportunity and looking for doors that God might be opening. Like, you you don't wanna lose all that. That's from God. But see, Satan, Satan has never created anything. He just twists what God creates and tries to harm us with it. That's what he's done with this facilitating good God, healthy fear that helps us in life. And then it, and then it turns to debilitating anxiety. And that's when I can't walk in my calling the way God wants me to because of my levels of anxiety. I can't live a normal life because of my anxiety. That's when it's a problem. And that's when God says, don't you ever forget. It's time to fight. And it's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord. <clears throat> And in his mighty power. That's what we just talked about, right? Put on the full armor of God. Why? Because you're going to have to fight. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He said, it's time to fight. There's a spiritual battle to be fought. Now, I'm starting to learn this in this conversation with my pastor, and then I was so embarrassed because like, I am a pastor, and I should probably know this, but I looked at him in all honesty and said, I don't even know where to start. Maybe some of you have already thought that. This is a great, this is great, man. I'm excited. I want to fight. What are you going to do tomorrow? No clue. I looked at my pastor and said, 
Like if I knew what to do, I would have already done it. I don't even know where to start. Here's what he said. He said, we're going to pray, we're going to worship, and we're going to war. We're going to pray, we're going to worship, and we're going to war. And I remember looking back at him going, that's it. Anything deeper than that. I've heard about those things. We do those things at church. He said, no, 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 we do, the, we do those things to battle. He said, and he knew we were going to be in town for two weeks. He said, here's what we're going to do. He gave us a little Bluetooth speaker, and he said, there's a room over here in the church that isn't being used for the next two weeks. He said, so I want you and your wife to go in this room for 30 minutes a day. He said, here's the rules. Turn on worship music. And whatever level the music's at, he said, I want you and your wife to pray out loud together at that level for 30 minutes. My wife was so excited about this. I was not. I know, let, let this set somebody in here free. I'm a pastor, and I don't like praying at length with my wife, okay? It's true. God forgive me. Let that just set somebody free. It's not just you. My wife, because when she prays, she's one of those prayers that, like, she quotes six verses in a prayer. Do you know what I mean? And I'm more of a caveman. I'm more like, hey, God, what's up? And so I feel stupid anyways, and, like, I just... I'd rather have his full attention, to be honest. I, it's the whole thing. We do it. Now, I'm going to tell you how it went, because here's what I think I have done too much of, is I have told our church at home, go get in his presence. And I go, go get him, kid. And then, I, and then people go try it, <clears throat> and they feel real stupid, and they don't know that that might be normal. They, it feels hard. It feels messy. It feels sloppy. And if I don't tell you that that's the reality of it, you'll go try this twice. You won't feel like anything's happened and you'll quit. And so I want you to, I want to share my experience with you. We went in for two weeks, turn on the music. Every week we started with two songs. Um, I'll see a victory by Elevation Worship and Breakthrough by Red Rocks Worship. And then we had a playlist. The first day, Jill walked around the room and prayed at the volume of the music. I sat on the couch and cried. I didn't pray at all. I didn't even know what to say. God, I'm so messed up. I don't even know what to say. I cried for 30 minutes. We left, and I didn't feel any different. Came back the next day. Turned on the music. Jill prayed. I sat on the couch, cried, trying not to have panic attacks. And It was either day two or three where I just started saying, Jesus, Jesus, help. That's all I knew to say. Jesus, help. Like, I'm really hurting. Would you help? Jesus, help. You know, there's power in that name. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Day two, day three, we left. I didn't feel any different. Went back. Day four, music. Jill's praying. Day four, I, I went over and I started to stand by a window. And if I was an artist, I could paint a picture of what I saw out of that window because I stared out of it every day. And I'd just listen to the words of the song and I'd start to, I'd go, yeah, I am going to see a victory. God, I don't think I believed it. God, I want to see a victory. I want to see a victory. I'm going to have a breakthrough. I'm going to have a breakthrough. And we left. I hadn't had any breakthroughs. Day five, day six, day seven, I start praying a little bit. I start praying out loud. We start claiming some scriptures. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the Lord, and no weapon formed against me will prosper. God will go before you and fight for you and give you the victory. It's for freedom. 
that you have been set free. By the end of two weeks, I'm walking around this room with my wife with my hands up in the air going, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to see a victory. There's going to be breakthrough. Things are going to change. It was real messy and real sloppy, and some days I felt real fake. After two weeks of doing this, I'm not, I'm not, I don't promise a thing. I'm not God. I'm just telling you my story. After two weeks of doing this, I stopped having panic attacks. Now, I was still a mess. I needed a lot of help and a lot of counseling, and, and I went and got that. Two weeks. Why? Why did that do anything? Would you put that list of scriptures up real quick? This is what God, take a screenshot of this with your phone, if you would. I want you to have this to look at this week as a reminder. This is what God's word promises when you and I decide to get into his presence. He says, you get in my presence, I give you peace. I give you joy. I give you rest. I give you confidence. I give you guidance. I give you protection. I give you power. Those things right there would change our lives. For some of us, just peace, joy, and rest would be a life-changing experience for us. And he says, where do you find it? In my presence. Step into my presence, right? Step into my throne room of grace with confidence in your time of need, when you're the most messed up, because that's when you get my grace, and that's when you get my mercy. That's what he wants. We can do this. And, and I want to I end with, with a story. I want to show you what this looks like in the wild, in real life. Um, because I was learning that this is real, that worship isn't just something that happens at church. It's something that's supposed to be in my life, that it's a weapon that God has given me to, to fight for my freedom. And getting in God's presence is not a spiritual duty or a chore. It's an opportunity that I have to start letting God fight for me no matter what I'm fighting against. So we're... I'm at a football practice one night for my youngest son, Ashton, and Jill calls me and says, um, Ethan doesn't look good. His, his, his eyes look yellow, and he had just been on a missions trip in Africa, and band, you guys can come on up, and uh, he had just been on a missions trip in Africa, and usually I'm like, he doesn't need to go to the hospital, but I had said that recently, and he had like a broken bone. Or Ashton did, I think. I think, yeah, I'd said, Ashton, you don't need to go to the hospital. Man up. And then Jill finally took him. He's like, his foot's broke. Are you happy? <laughs> and so I'm not going to make that mistake again. So she says, you know, hey, Ethan doesn't look good. I'm like, take him to the hospital. So she calls me from the hospital. And again, I'm at practice. And she just goes, she goes, everything's fine. She goes, they're going to let us go. Nothing seems to be wrong. And then while she's on the phone, all of a sudden, she goes, wait, wait, hold on. What? What is, all of a sudden, I start hearing all these beeps and commotion in the background, and I can hear all kinds of people talking, and, and she's like, what's going on? What's going on? And I hear someone say, get him to the ICU. Get him to the ICU. And at that moment, my son went into something called septic shock. They took him to the ICU, and Jill starts to cry, and she says, Sean, I think you need to come up here. And so I go to the hospital, and um, go ahead and put that picture up of my son. We started putting Bible verses up on the bed. He was in there for five days, and the, the infectious disease team kept coming in. Put that other picture up. That's all right. This is, you don't need it. Um, the infectious disease team would come in about three, four times a day, 
and ask us, like, where was he in, in Africa, and what did he eat, and what, what, what kind of grass was there, and what kind of, I mean, every question you could ask. They couldn't find out what was going on. At one point, they had these ports in each arm, and they were putting four or five medicines into each port, and then his veins would burst out, or not burst, but like cave or whatever they would do, and they couldn't use it, and it was, at day five, the doctors had a conversation with me, and they said, we can't find out what's killing your son. His organs are starting to shut down. Um, he's gaining all this, all this water weight from all the medicines we've put in him. And uh, then they started saying, here's the percentage of chance that your son's going to live. And I remember my heart sank. And I didn't want my son to see me cry. And I didn't want my wife to see me cry. And it's, it's, it's like middle of the night. So I walk out, out around the hospital. And I was just talking to God. And I was like, God, if my son dies from going on a trip to tell people about you, I don't know how I'm going to make sense out of this in my head. I don't know if I can take this. And ironically, we were in a series in our church where I was talking about Joshua crossing the Jordan River. And I was telling our church that we don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the verse I was preaching on. And so I prayed this really real prayer to God. And I bet you know what this feels like. I said, God, what do I do when I'm trying to stand on your promises that say I don't have to be afraid? And I've never been more afraid. What now? What then? And I felt like he dropped a thought in my head. I know it was from him. I never would have came up with it. He dropped this thought in my, in my head. He said, you put your foot down and you put your hands up. You put your foot down and you stand on my promises. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in my son than anything this world can throw at him. And no weapon formed against my son is going to prosper. And my God will never leave me or forsake me. And he will give me the victory. And he will fight for me. He said, you put your foot down on those promises. And you put your hands up in praise. And you let me work. And I put in some headphones. And I started walking around the hospital, doing circles outside, just worshiping. And in one of the scariest moments of my life, I started to feel peace. I started to feel settled, even though I was in the scariest thing I'd ever seen. I said, you can do this. When you're, when you're reading a Bible that says you don't have to be afraid and all you feel is fear, you can stand on that promise. And you can put your hands up and you can worship through anything. And he said, when you do that, you'll find that strength you're looking for. You'll find that peace that you haven't been able to get a hold of. And I did. And the next day, a miracle took place. And I don't have time to tell you that whole story, but I can tell you that my son's here today, healthy and whole. Any single ladies just saying... You don't have to just deal with depression and be attacked by anxiety. You can fight back. You can attack it. 
with the spiritual weapons that God has given us, with the ability to get into his presence, with the ability to stand on his promises, with the ability to put our foot down no matter what we're walking through and put our hands up no matter what we're experiencing, we can begin to experience the things that God wants us to. And I believe that's where we start. A guy was in my office, like I said, last week. And he said, nobody knows this, and I look real successful, but I've been sitting up at night thinking about ways to take my own life. He said, what do I do? I said, you decide to fight. It's time to fight. You can do this. Not about your strength. It's about your God's strength. There's a spiritual battle to be fought here. And start getting in his presence and watch what God will do. And I believe that's what he would say to every single one of us today. Come get in my presence. Come let me do what you can't do. Because with man, these things feel impossible. But with me, son, with me, daughter, all things are possible. In Jesus' name. Liverpool, would you stand up with me? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this opportunity to get together as family and friends and talk about something that's real in this world today. And it's really not from you. But we know the effects of it. We feel it ourselves. Our loved ones feel it. And so, God, I just pray for some freedom as we begin to worship you one more time with music. I pray that literally weights would come off of people's shoulders as they begin to say, realize there can be freedom found through my Savior. With everyone's eyes closed, I'm going to ask two questions before we sing, just to give you a chance to respond to what God might be saying to you right now. The first one is this. You or somebody you love is struggling with anxiety or depression. And today you say, I wanna stand up and pray for freedom. If that's you, raise your hand. We're gonna pray together and believe for some miracles. Guys, there's hands all over the place. It's real. Second question is this. We're talking about this anxiety and depression, but what you realize is God's been dealing with you. Like you could just feel it in your heart. You're like, I need to start a relationship with God so that I can step into his presence. I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life because he did die for my sins and he can forgive them and I can experience his presence and I can go to heaven one day and I've just never said yes to Jesus yet and today I'm not gonna be perfect. I don't know how this is gonna turn out but today I can feel it in my heart. Today is my day. I need to say yes to Jesus and have my sins forgiven and be on my way to heaven for all of eternity. If that's you right now, raise your hand. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. Put them up. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 God, thank you for what you're doing right now in this, in this church family, in our hearts, in our lives. We need you, God. We need freedom from anxiety, freedom from depression, and we need your strength to be the one to deliver it. And so we just start to lean on you today in a way we haven't before. And for the eternal lives that are being changed right now by people saying yes to you. As a church family, we say thank you. As a church family, we celebrate and say thank you, God. And we love you. And it's our honor to worship you now with music. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Liverpool One, let's worship. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.